0: Welcome, friends, to Game Master Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry.
1: Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio. We'll be talking about tabletop role-playing game with tips and tricks you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Last week we spoke about spicing up combat encounters, so today we're going to be speaking about non-combat encounters, how you can mix them into your game and bring a little uh, extra to the table to break up the monotony of killing everything your party comes across. In the studio today, I'm Jerry, aka Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, aka DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM, and Ed.
2: Hey guys, I think I'm just going to take a 10 on my uh, witticism skill check for the line today. That cool? Yeah, it's cool. So
1: today we are talking non-combat encounters. Uh, we've had a little bit of discussion pre-show about what we're going to consider to be an encounter, and that would be in obstacle or event that the players do need to pass by in order to advance the storyline of the game, and it should also be something where resources will either be expended or potentially risked, whether hit points, spell slots, or simply having to make skill checks and if you fail maybe you have to take a more difficult route around or potentially wind up losing some of those resources that you've put into play. Additionally, we are talking about non-combat encounters. So these are events that primarily would not be solved through physical violence, although every now and then maybe a prop needs to get smashed. This should not be your main recourse for dealing with all these. Now, last week, we went to Jared to start off the discussion for combat. So for non-combat, we're going to start with Ed. Um, what would you say is your first pick, your first go-to for a non-combat encounter to insert into a campaign to mix things up for your players?
2: Well, uh, I mean, there's quite a few of them. I think uh, I, I, I like to do a lot of like social interaction. Uh, have the characters, uh, you know, in, interact with either someone in their society or. Uh, other non-player characters or or or, or even each other just uh socially right um now some of that's going to happen with downtime and this isn't about downtime this is an obstacle that they have to overcome so maybe sometimes they need assistance uh you know maybe there's a a horde on the way and they're trying to convince you know the the local duke to, to put up an army to to fight it off or maybe there's uh uh you know the um an item that they're looking for and they're trying to find out exactly what this item is, but they have to convince someone who knows, you know, more about it to, to, to give them that information, help them in some way. Um, I like, I like social interactions. I like, uh, I like it because of the role playing aspect. Um, a lot of these encounters are going to require skill checks. Uh, I, when, with role playing encounters, I like to have, less skill checks or make skill checks mean something different. Okay. You know, so like, yeah, okay. You can go ahead and speak with the Duke and we'll do a, you know, we'll role play that out. You know, what happens, what goes on, what, what what you do. And then at the end of it, maybe, okay, I'll, I'll have him make a, a diplomacy or persuasion check or, you know, to see, to see what happens. But in my head, I'm not thinking, okay, this is going to sway uh the duke you know if they've already succeeded then he's going to help them he's going to do something this diplomacy check is going to have him help them even more so maybe okay yeah sure he'll put up 200 troops because either role playing it out and they convinced him oh you got a good role on your uh persuasion okay he'll give you 100 more troops oh wait a second you got a really good role okay he'll give you 500 you know because you did really well Uh, Or on the flip side of that is if, you know, during the role playing session, you weren't doing so hot, you kind of made him mad, he doesn't want to help you as much, you know, then he might not do it. But a good role now, okay, he'll give you something or a really bad role. He'll he'll hurt you even more with it, you know.
1: Or it could be something like where he gives uh, lower quality troops, like ground irregulars rather than, you know, a maintained and trained militia.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. I've been meaning to clear out the jails lately, you know. Uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I like a good go-to, I think for me is the, 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 sco- the social stuff. I like the, the interaction, the talking, the role-playing and, uh, you certainly, you can use, there's plenty of skills that are set up for that, but you can also figure out different ways to use them, make them mean different things. I
1: think. Yeah. I actually, um, one of the games that I used to play and that I enjoyed, uh, was a criminal investigation. And there was a lot of social interaction there, mm-hmm. with interviewing witnesses, interrogating suspects, and working to try to f- to figure out what had happened. To get into that research investigation of you know something's gone down, we need to get this information, figure out what it is. Right. Uh, the game was probably a good seventy five percent of social interactions, mm-hmm. and so I've seen them been used in very very quality situations. They can be a lot of fun for the players and really help develop those characters, like you mentioned earlier, to to bring out the role-playing side. Yeah, developing characters gets you more attached
2: to them, I think. It
1: can make the whole experience better. We've we've discussed getting your players invested, and um, we also touched a little bit on using those roles uh, reflected by the player's skills in the episode that we have on... Uh, playing characters with low ability scores. Yeah, that's a really good callback. So that's another one that's a episode to check out if you haven't already, if you're interested in a little more information on that. Anything for the social side of things? No, like I in? think
0: uh, I think the social side is probably the atypical go to outside of combat. You know, I'm a big fan of it. Also, I mean, you guys know that I'm huge into role playing. I, You know, that's probably my number one go to also is just social interactions and role playing in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I think that the, your majority of games is probably somewhere close to like, you know, 4040 40 on like, you know, combat and social encounters or at least role playing in general with you know a little bit of filler in like you know like a 20 10 to 20 percent of miscellaneous so i I, yeah. I think it's one of those like it's definitely good to mention it was good to start with yeah. but probably not the thing that the average you know that's probably what the average person is going to come up with anything so i think the other stuff that we're going to start talking about will be probably less used by your average gm yeah.
2: okay well um i would actually like to add sure. uh to that though uh well not really that point in specific but uh the um, It also does depend on your group. I know we've talked about making sure you know your group beforehand, but social interactions are great if you've got players who are willing to be social. You know, if you happen to find yourself in a group that nobody really wants to take up that mantle, I mean, a social interaction here or there will be necessary, but you'll probably want to move on to some of this other stuff.
0: All
1: right. Um, so when we were talking, you know, we kind of came up with the idea of doing non-combat encounters, and we barely finish saying the phrase, and Jared jumps in with skill challenges. So, since you're kind of chomping at the bit on it, you want to talk to our listeners a little bit about uh, skill challenges and using those?
0: Sure, Uh, and of course, Ed made a really good point, you know, in the the pre-show discussion that really everything that we're talking about in that episode kind of falls under the general concept of skill challenge, but really like when I say skill challenge, I mean a much more defined, like specific encounter where you have a obstacle or objective that can only be completed by one or several players, you know, making several successful um, checks of a specific one or two skills. So, a good example would be, um, like, say, everything that I'm coming up with is going to fall under other topics that we're going to talk about later, and I don't want to, like, mix and match. Um, like, say you need to get navigate, like, the city. Um, you could s- easily say, okay, well, you know, you can talk to some people and make it a social encounter thing, but you could also make it, you have someone, like, say you have, like, a rogue in your party, and they've got, you know, some background or some some contacts in, in the city, Sure, fine, great. You can do the social interaction, or you could say, "Well, what's your intelligence?" You know, maybe they have an you know um um I you know eidetic memory. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I always like script the pronunciation of that. But you can have them make some skill checks and go, "Okay, we need to go left, left, right, 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 left," and have them you know. But again, they need to make three successful skill checks before they make three failed skill checks, or something along those lines. But the concept of the general concept of a skills um, skill challenge, and I think they first introduced this in fourth edition D anD. d like the set rules or guidelines for a quote unquote skill challenge was in theory, it's typically based off of three. So you have, you make three successful skill checks before you make three failed skill checks, but you can use any number you want. You can say five, seven, whatever, however many you want it to be depends on how involved it's going to be. Um, let me give you a better example. In fact, I should just start this whole section over again. <laughs> um, but another good example would be like uh, again, like kind of like a, a skill challenge, using it for like a kind of like a puzzle situation. Which we'll, we'll get more into puzzles specifically. But for the, the sense of a skill challenge, say you have a device that's going off and it's shooting like it's this big pillar and it's randomly you know choosing a direction and just shooting like little fireballs all over the place in this room at a party. You could have the rogue use make like some sort of um uh device check. Again, this is, you know, thinking like fourth edition D D, like there's like disabled device or something like that, I believe. In fifth edition, I would think it would probably be something like sleight of hand. Sleight of hand, yep. So basically, like where they're going over and they're kind of like feeling around on the pillar and they're trying to find some sort of switch. And at the same time, the wizard could come over and make an arcana check. And you could say, okay, well, either an arcana check or a sleight of hand check, um, whichever you choose can disable this device. You need to get like, let's say five successful checks to disable it. But if you get five failed checks before five successful checks, then you fail in general and you can't disable it. And you, you know, as a DM GM, you can come up with your own consequences to the whole situation. You know, like maybe the thing blows up. Maybe it just gets stuck in the on position. You know, maybe the room starts closing in on itself. If you know, after you, you know, unsuccessfully disable it, But again, it's nice to have options um, for skill challenges. So again, it offers a variety and then it allows more than just one player in the group to be able to participate. So again, your wizard or your rogue or anyone in the group that has a good sleight of hand or arcana check could be useful in that situation. Hey, and for the rescue. exactly, you know, so you just set the DC of whatever you want it to be. It's kind of like a trap, you know. It's like um, a really sophisticated trap, so to speak. You know, you set the DC. Say you want the DC to be fifteen, so it's kind of middle of the road, and then that's it. You know, they just start making checks. They can make one check per round, and you know, if it was like in an initiative or a combat kind of situation. If it's not, you know, in any sort of timed, you know, initiative uh, round situation, you can just say, have them make a bunch of checks, but just make sure that you're keeping track of it. Keep track of the successes over the the fails. And that's the basic premise of, a, you know, the skill challenge, how it's set up. But there's a thousand different ways to use it. I think there's a couple
1: of things that I'd actually like to say, kind of building on what you said there. Uh, one being, if it's not an initiative, just let them make checks. If you're not an initiative, I think that's one point where as a DM, you need to make sure to keep order so that, okay, you wanna try to disable it and you wanna try to disable it. Okay, person one gets to make a check, now person two gets to make a check, rather than just person one going, oh, I got a 20, now I got a 17. Now I got a twelve. Now I got a fifteen.
0: Right. Yeah, and if it's the kind of situation that I mentioned, where like there's a, some sort of like trapper device going off, you're going to want to probably have it in initiative order, anyways, because that device needs to act every turn, and there needs to be consequences. Right. You know, there needs to be that pressure being. You know, like if it's shooting a fireball every round, it needs to have a chance to shoot that fireball. You know, there, you know, to keep the pressure on, and, and therefore there to be consequences of you know success or failure.
2: Well, the other thing too is as a GM, and a lot of people kind of tend to forget this as a gm you can just make initiative mm-hmm. okay you yeah. guys want to go check out the device you're the first two that spoke up so you'll you'll both get to go and then you will go around the table would be the rest of the initiative so yeah. Yeah. you guys try it you both make your you both roll your check x consequence happens based on your role all right now you not making the check what are you doing you what are you doing what are you doing okay top of the order the thing fires okay you guys can make your checks again You don't even have to roll for that. I mean, sure, everyone loves to roll, but you don't even have to roll for that.
1: I actually, with my other game, I considered running an entire dungeon in initiative the entire time, Mm -hmm. adding new things as they came in, but just keeping it just so that there's a a structure and an order to the way that the players are going through it. If somebody winds up lagging behind, well, you got to catch up. You can't just say, no, I was with them the whole time.
2: Right. Yeah, Um, there's there's definitely an uh, an upside to that. It can make it going through the dungeon a little bit more real. You know, every once in a while you can spring something on them that you weren't planning on just because someone did lag behind. But
1: but anyway, back to the the other discussion, Um, there's one other point that Jared brought up that I really kind of want to to focus on a little bit because I think it's really important. Um, And I put on my notes here as fail is not a fail. So when you said that, oh, they don't disable the trap means that it blows up or it keeps firing. It doesn't mean you didn't disable the trap. You can't go forward. The game does not advance. If they don't make the checks, if they're doing it poorly, if they screw up, then it doesn't stop things. It makes it more difficult, requires them to pay with some sort of resource or some other way. They can still advance, but if they had succeeded, their advance would have been easier.
0: Or maybe it just keeps firing every single round, but now you have to start over and start, you know, from scratch. Okay, I had four successes, but I hit five failures first. Rewind the clock. Okay, let's start all over again. And it keeps going, and now it's getting dangerous because that's been, you know, four or five rounds.
2: It might only be firebolt, so it might not be doing much when it hits. But now it's been hitting for five rounds, and you got to start over, so start that can get dangerous. Them, yeah. Or <laughs> in the example I gave, where you're trying to get an army from a duke, maybe you fail miserably, but he's willing to uh, send you the troops, you know, for a fee, mm-hmm.
1: you know? Yeah, um, I think that we can also go into play there that there should be, in occasional o- cases, options for the players to, rather than make the skill check, maybe do something else in order to bypass. Um, the example we came when gave when we were talking earlier, I was talking about climbing a cliff. You can make those climb checks. If you fail to the climb checks, you might have a chance that you fall and lose hit points. So in that way, your failure is you're giving up hit points and have to start over. Mm -hmm. But you could also have the wizard cast a fly spell and now fly up to the top of the cliff. They exchange that spell slot for having to make those skill checks.
2: Or someone in the party could take their uh, potion of spider climb. Right. Yeah, something along those lines.
1: And they do that. And then later on when they need it, well, you used it to get past this obstacle earlier. So that was kind of your payment. Oh, now you don't have it to use later on. can't have Mm -hmm. your cake and eat it too.
2: Right. Another thing that I'd kind of like to bring up about skill checks real quick is uh, I saw this video online. It was kind of funny about um, people making skill checks for the most mundane things. You know, like oh well, you you know you want to you want to take a take a drink from a tankard, roll a, a dex a dex check. Well, I rolled really crap and my dex is bad, so I failed taking a drink from a cup. Uh, that's kind of an extreme point, but but just keep in mind what your DCs are. Ten should be about average. If this is something you think the group should be able to do, you know, put it at a ten. If they don't make it, fine. But if, you know, they someone rolls that 10 or 11 and they think, oh, no, I might not have made it, surprise them. Say, hey, no, you made it. That was fine. Yeah. You know, save your 15s and plus for something that's supposed to be difficult. And at the same time, if it's supposed to be easy, like that's a, that's a 5 or a 0, you know, sometimes just let them do it. Mm-hmm. But in this case, certainly, certainly, you know, uh, when you're thinking up the, the challenge for the skills, think up a good DC, something that they would need to roll, but also think how hard really should this be for these people who are, you know, at least some of them are semi-athletic or intelligent. Right. That yeah, sort of thing. I mean,
0: yeah. Even at like a level one party or DC for a skill challenge, you're probably looking at like 12 to 13 plus, right. you know, you like, you don't want it to be a 10. Like you said, you know, a 10 should be pretty much almost to give me an 11, just a little bit difficult. So again, like if, if it's going to be a some sort of skill challenge, especially depending on the number of successes that you want from them, you're probably looking at a minimum of a 12, really, I would say a minimum of more of like a 13, or higher at level one, you know what I mean? Like, once they hit, like, level three, I'd say DC 15+, plus, depending on what you want to do, you know what I mean? It all, again, depends on how difficult you want it to be. Right.
1: I would like to say that I did have a character that had to roll every time he wanted to take a drink out of his tankard, uh, largely because I had put in for his flaw on his character sheet that he had a drinking problem. (laughs) For those of you that didn't get it, go watch Airplane. (laughs) Um, so moving along, connected to skill checks, we talked about a, a little bit there, but uh, traps. Traps is a popular option. This back in the old, uh, good old dungeon crawling, Tomb of Horrors, Gygaxian days, mm-hmm. where you had traps. Everywhere, and people got used to checking every single door and poking every floor panel with a ten-foot pole. Traps are there to be able to have a non-combat alternative to eating up spells and hit points for your players.
2: Yeah, yeah I still do that. Like all of my, all of my in Dungeons and Dragons, all my characters still check for traps
0: or have someone check for traps. I know. I feel like traps is kind of a lost art, though. Like, I mean, and I'm I'm very guilty of this, too. Like, I don't use traps nearly as much as I would like when I'm not planning a game. I'm like, man, I should use traps more. And then I start planning a game and traps never even enter my mind.
1: (laughs) I think I think you have to hit that careful balance between the traps being a ha ha screw you to the players and being something that they can actually overcome. Um, if you're going and breaking into the lair of a high-level rogue, you should absolutely expect traps and have them coming out of there. If you're delving through an Ankeg's tunnels, then arrow traps and poison gas don't make as much sense.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's, I think, probably one of the reasons why traps don't enter my mind as much... Is I'd like them to is because I'm very much from a it needs to make sense point of view. Right. You know, if it's a commonly used tunnel that people just use all the time, why would it be full of traps? Like, oh, you know, and just it's the same with like some you know some even strongholds. Like, okay, not every hallway is going to be full of traps. Some people need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, <what> I, mean? <laughs> I was
1: actually about, I lived in ancient castle and I had to make three skill checks to get to the bathroom alive. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, but I think that traps can also be used to spice things up. I oh, think absolutely. they should definitely uh, be also an important part of the environment. Your, your players get hit by one trap and all of a sudden they're like, oh, this guy's expecting us or these things are expecting us. They know we're coming. They're set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a way that you can add flavor to that, add a little bit of caution on your PC's part. And, yeah, soften them up a little bit so that that. Fights later on
0: might be a little more exciting because oh, this person's down on hit points. Right. I will say one thing though, like in uh, if you're going to use a lot of traps, in you know, in an appropriate situation, like say you have like a lich stronghold where like the lich never leaves, he's pretty much barricaded himself in there. He has no re- reason to even need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that would be perfectly fine to have traps everywhere. But another thing to keep in mind that I don't think is done enough. Like obviously your, your rogues and your wizards have a ways to disable the traps from the offensive side or the side of like, you know, basically the, the, the rat trap side where it's supposed to go off. But I think not enough people set up, like levers and buttons to disable traps from right. the other side. You know what I mean? was just
2: thinking the same thing.
0: You know, like you will know, say say like the again the lich spends all his time buried like in the center of this, you know, underground uh, stronghold, but every now and then he'd like to leave. He probably has switches and levers and buttons from the inside going out mm-hmm. to disable the traps from the other side. Now that might not mean much to the, uh, most parties, but some parties might have a character or even the whole, you know, several characters in the party that have ways of getting around the trap, that then could be disabling the trap from the other side. Yeah. You know, say like you have a wizard that can go incorporeal somehow, you know, like with some spells, he could zip through a couple walls, pop out on the other side of the trap, and pull the lever and boom, now the whole party can get by, you know, right. easy peasy Japanesey. Um,
1: sorry, go ahead. I think another uh, alternative to that that I think players don't use enough is deliberately triggering traps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get everybody clear, let's set it off, and then we just don't reset it, and okay, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Right
2: yeah uh you you'd actually mentioned you know uh i you know i work in a dungeon and i have to make three checks to go to the bathroom that's a great way to to counter that is they're on the opposite side they're on the safe point so to say of the trap where they can press a button or switch a lever and uh and the trap stops uh you know one of you know really good example would be anyone who's ever played skyrim uh the swinging axe traps in those you know there's plenty of them and uh you know there's always a lever on the other side that you can pull to stop the 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 trap from continuing.
1: Really, I have to go back and check that game out again.
2: Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> much every time, and the idea being is sometimes you might take a companion with you in those games. So, you know, you they'll they'll won't be able to go through the trap at all. But essentially, you have this trap that you can't disarm. Okay, because it's really not what the game's about. But you can make a skill check to get past it. And then once you get past, or if you use magic, you can use magic to get past it. Mm-hmm. And then once you get past it, you can completely disable it by doing the switch, and you can tell your commanding to follow you. So you can kind of incorporate that into these games, you know, you know, okay, so there's a big swing and axe. Uh, what do I do to get past it? Well, that's going to be, you know, uh, that's going to be a dex uh, saving throw or an acrobatics roll or something like that, where this is the number you have to hit. If you fail, it hits you and it, you take damage, but you still get past it, Right. you know, it clips you. And that way you can, you can keep getting past that trap just using skills. And then once that's over, they can, you know, bring that lever down and the rest of the group can, can, uh, can bypass it. So that's the thing, you know, that that's. Certainly something to point out there is, you know, you can always have
1: some sort of counter to your trap. How do you get through it? What do you do? That's also a good way to give the the rogue or the character that has to get past it a little bit of time in the spotlight. Yeah,
2: Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: Yeah, and do you send your rogue or do you send your barbarian, you know, uh, or your fighter? You know, the rogue, uh, you know, he's gonna, probably going to have the best acrobatics. So if that's the role you're using, he's going to be able to get through it. But the barbarian and the fighter can take the hit. But the barbarian and the fighter can take the hit better. You know, yeah. and not be so. You know, and be okay.
0: Yeah, it might be one of those where, like, between point A and point Z, they have to trade off on some of those and make those kind of decisions on the spot, depending on the trap. Exactly.
2: Yeah, depending on the trap. So there's plenty of good example, plenty of good traps you can use. Also, and I know we're going to be getting into this topic, puzzles, puzzle traps. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a thing that's happening to you, like maybe the room is being filled with gas, and there's a puzzle you have to solve that'll stop it.
1: I yeah, yeah really a hard. lot
0: of traps can be, you know, are designed to be disabled by correctly solving a puzzle or a riddle, which we're going to be getting into. Yeah. Yeah, as far as there's just traps, just hit your DMG, hit your, you know, your rule books, go on the internet. There's traps everywhere. Like, we're not, there's no point in getting into the actual exactly. specific traps. There's Spells. resources all over the place. And I think the, pu- the, the puzzle
1: trigger for the traps is also a good way to kind of add synergy into the game world because, mm-hmm. well, anybody can walk over and push a button, flip a lever. They could solve the puzzle, but the people who are who are you know working or living there already know the answer to the puzzle. Right, exactly. So they just boom, 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 it's done. Right. And it's not even a challenge for them. But somebody else could theoretically figure it out and then yeah. disable the trap for the party.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Basically a deactivation code, so to speak.
1: So let's right. talk about puzzles and riddles. I think these are these are interesting because it's a different type of resource where mm-hmm. instead of doing hit points or spell slots or skill checks, you're actually, the resource that they're really using is your player's creativity and their, you know, also their, their mental fortitude. You know, throwing a puzzle at your party at the end yeah. of a six-hour session may have a different result than if it's the first thing that they do.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, no, I mean, these are things that I wish I used more of. Uh, puzzles and riddles are great. Uh, I, I remember some that I've been a part of, and they were fantastic. You got to actually try to solve the thing. And as a GM, I feel like that's something I want to incorporate more. Yeah. And probably a lot of GMs feel that way. It's like, man, oh, I should do more puzzles and traps and stuff, or, or riddles. Yeah. Um, you know, But certainly, it's it's an idea. And I like the idea if you just present them with the puzzle. Now, if it's a puzzle trap, then they have to figure out a way to get through it. But if it's just the puzzle, like... You know, you go into a room, there's no other door than the one you came into, but there's a puzzle on the wall, you know, or something, you know, on the floor or something. And the only way to bypass it's to solve it. Now you have, your players can all kind of look at it and be like, well, what do we do? You know, and try to figure everything out, you know, uh, whereas a puzzle trap's usually going to have more, um, I guess, more of an immediate threat. And a puzzle is just, well,
1: we have to solve this to succeed. How do we do it? And it might be something like they use the puzzle as the lock for a vault, and again, it goes back to the people that actually own it know how to access it at any time without even right. think about it, and it be- then becomes kind of a side objective. So players can't figure out the puzzle, they can't get the riddle. Well, that's okay. The game moves on.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of. Puzzles in particular, because it's a great handout opportunity. Yes, you can actually, you know, you can print off, you know, different. There's a variety of puzzles that are literally just a 2D print off that you can just, you know, print off a couple of them, hand them out to your players, and boom, like figure it out. You know, take ten minutes, and here's a pen, and you know, and enjoy yourselves. Work together, do what you need to do. You know, if you need some some help or some hints, make a skill check. You know, and I'll I'll give you a little hint or whatever it is. Riddles. I'm a huge fan of riddles, but the problem that I've personally had with riddles is that jerry knows them all <laughs> um this, this. you go on the internet and you try to find like these really prolific really awesome riddles <laughs> and the problem is they're on the internet right. <laughs> and uh. everybody and their brother knows the answer like one of my favorite riddles the first time i ever read it was actually in a mortal Kombat comic book believe it or not way back when i was like 10, no, like 12 years old, I read this thing. Like, I think Mortal Kombat 2, the game had just come out. Mortal Kombat, the movie had just come out, and they had this comic book, and in this comic book, I don't remember even, like, the premise of the story. Like, they're all fighting to get some artifact. But they go to reach for the artifact, and they have to answer this riddle, and it's like, what's yours but your friends use it more than you? And I'm like, that's, fr-. and, you know, and then, of course, the answer is your name. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome. Of course, I'm 12 at the time, too. You right, know what I right. mean? But I'm like, that's awesome. That's brilliant. I love it. It's amazing. But you go to say that to somebody nowadays, and then just everybody knows the answer. Like, yeah, your your name, duh. You know, like, fine, you enter the friggin' door. <laughs> the door. What, opens.
1: what was that?
2: A riddle for a twelve-year-old? <laughs> yes,
1: we we had a situation with one of the games that Jared ran, where he came up with with a series of riddles, and I. I had seen all of them beforehand, primarily because one of my favorite Batman villains is, in fact, the Riddler. He uses a bunch of those. That's where I get a lot of my riddles for DMs. You know, I read Batman comics. Oh, hey, Riddler. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I can use that. Um, so as a player, I step back and I'm like, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to give the rest of the table, you know, a good five, ten minutes or yeah. so. If they can figure it out, they can get it good. If not, I can move the game forward.
2: Right. You could even, as a GM, you could you could tell it and say everybody, you know, tell everybody, don't blurt it out. If you if you know the answer
0: to this, raise your hand. There was one riddle that Jerry didn't remember, didn't know right off the bat, if I recall. Because like, I want to yes. say I hit with him, like, with three or five of them in order to pass. Like, there was, like you said, there was a series of them. And I think there was one, one out of this series that Jerry didn't, like, just know right off the top of his head. And I want to say he was the one that still figured I'm it out. was still the
1: one that figured
0: it out. <laughs> but he just didn't know it right off the top of his was head. Yeah. the uh, sand. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. at first, I think he would thought it was time. And I'm like, well, time works. Yeah. But sand is the answer. I don't remember the exact phrasing of the riddle. I have it saved somewhere. But yeah, yeah. there
1: was one caveat where the time didn't fit through.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it was one of those like, oh man, well you know, like at least he didn't know the answer right off the freaking top of his head. Right. Well, the, the <laughs> but final, I'm glad he figured it out. The final one was supposed to be
1: the big riddle, and it turned out to be one of my favorite riddles of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was like the the number two miscellaneous riddle that he's like, uh, 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 this, no. <laughs> This, yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah, the big one was like, okay, done, done, done. Yep, knew it, no big deal. So, that's my problem with riddles. <laughs>
2: so, what you're saying is, don't ever let Jerry in your game if you're doing a riddle puzzle.
0: Yeah, if you're gonna do a riddle <laughs> puzzle, make sure. Jerry's <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm sorry.
1: Um, I would say for that is, um, maybe I've found a couple of sites that rather than providing riddles, talk about like how to design a riddle, mm-hmm. um, because. I mean, it I like a bit. Riddles, as too, riddles as well. Uh, there's a couple that I like to use that come off of, uh, of earlier magic cards. Um, but I have a dungeon that I designed that my players are going to be running through, and I don't, so I don't want to get into too much detail just in case any of them listen so I don't give it away. But there will be some riddles that I actually came up with on my own to try to figure out and, you know, made it and figured it in rhymed. They might be a little cheesy, but also if they give an answer
0: that's, Oh yeah, close enough. Yeah, then close or makes sense. Sure,
1: that's the answer now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's—I was going to say that would—that was the one thing I was going to add as a, a little subtext onto that is, if there is a quote-unquote right answer, but your players get really close or they say something that makes sense, just let it go because you again you don't want them to get stuck on this forever. Right. You know what I mean? Like just because you have this one right answer in your head, just like. That's why it's nice like sometimes come up with like what sounds like a really you know prolific riddle, but don't even come up with an answer yourself. Wait for the players to come up with an answer. I'm like, that's actually sound that's good. I like that. Yeah. And also my, the last comment on riddles other than just let Jerry play them and don't play them in your game with Jerry <laughs> is. <laughs> um, they don't have to rhyme. <laughs> some people, some people get stuck on the whole concept of like the average riddle rhymes, especially like because of the Riddler, he's really good at using riddles that rhyme. Riddles don't actually have to rhyme; they just need to be a challenging puzzle of a word, you know, word challenge.
2: <laughs> now we actually bring up an interesting topic: is if you're a GM and you have a player who's really good at doing something, um, like for instance, Jerry can break riddles. Maybe go to that player and say, "Hey, what are some of your, you know, favorite riddles? Some of the more challenging ones, you know, and let them know I want to use this on the group. And yes, you won't exactly be able to take take place in the, you know, or take part of this particular encounter. But I, if you come up with a couple of riddles, I think that'd be awesome."
0: Yeah. Or this perfect opportunity for when, hey Jerry, can you hook me up with some cool riddles? I'm going to be using it on the other half of the party when we split the party. Yeah, or exactly. Oh, you no, know, yeah. like Jerry's character is not there to even have to worry about the yeah. player going, "Oh, but I know the answer. I just want to say it." He's not there. It's for the other half of the party. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but
2: just as a quick sidebar, GMs out there, if you got a player who's really good at the thing and you have a ch- you're having trouble with that thing, Maybe talk to them. Yeah,
0: they're a resource. They,
2: they are one of your resources. So just a just a quick summary.
1: Actually, reminds me of just a real quick shout out: um, Darths and Droids web comic that uses screen caps of the Star Wars as a role playing game. They actually, in discussing the planet of Naboo from the Phantom Menace, one of the fictional players is actually a geophysics student, like going for his doctorate. And the DM tapped that player to make up a, you know, how does this planet work where they could, you know, fly or take a submarine through the core of the planet and have waterfalls everywhere, even though there's not elevations and all that, you know, tapping into my player has a specialty. I want to use that to make my game more right. synergistic, right if that's even a word.
2: <laughs> we'll make it a word. It's a word now. Well,
1: that's a, a Darsen Droids webcomic. I don't have the website off the top of my head, but... It's a fun one to check out. I need to get caught up on that. Uh, last thing to before we wrap up, uh, because when we we're talking pregame, one of my favorite ones to throw in for a non-combat encounter, even though it fits as a type of skill challenge, is the chase. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful action sequence that can get you know people's blood pumping. The, there's that real danger of whatever they're chasing getting away. You can do some fun stuff with it, whether they're chasing through a crowded city streets or over the rooftops or the top of a speeding train. Um, you can have some fun with some skill checks, you can throw in some obstacles, you can raise the stakes and make your players really get invested and get a little uh have a little fun with that sequence
2: yeah definitely uh you know back to fifth edition one of the main things you're doing in a chase is you're either running or you're riding something away so right there you have you know your 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 check as to how you progress you know instead of necessarily initiative i mean you're still going to keep initiative but instead of necessarily oh my character gets there first because you want to hire an initiative you have anyone who's running you know roll an athletics check you know, and the better athletics check goes further, or something along those lines. Maybe, you know, maybe an average check you're going to go your basic movement, but because it's a chase, you're changing the rules. So If you roll really well, I might add an extra five feet, or really well, I might add an extra ten feet, or if you roll really poorly, you know, I might take away five feet or ten feet from your movement uh, that you move, or something like that. You know, uh, uh, you know, jumping over things—that's athletics still.
1: Um, all, all kinds of different ways that you can sort of modify those uh, those sorts of chases. I had success in one of the games that I ran where I did... Uh, it, was a, it was a variant of a chase where the temple was collapsing mm-hmm. and the party had to escape by making skill checks. Some of the fun ones that I did was I had one of the options they could roll... One person, once in the chase, could choose to roll streetwise. Um, and they did so successfully, so I said that they had, when the party was first coming through, used a hammer and spike to spike open a secret door. So that made it easier for everybody to get through. And you know, retroactively, like, oh yeah, you did this while you were coming through ahead of time, but the check doesn't happen until the actual chase is going on uh, so that they can use skills other than athletics. So you can have people that maybe aren't so athletic still be able to contribute and help yeah. with the, the sequence as it goes through.
2: Yeah, that's a really good example, too, of uh, I know we touched about this on another episode, but characters not being the same as the player. Just because the player might not think to do that thing doesn't mean the character didn't. So that's a really good example of how you can kind of throw that in there and go back to it and say, well, you rolled a really good streetwise there. So your character was smart enough to put the, you know, a a spike inside of that door so you guys can get right through it. I like that. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a variety of ways to run uh, chase sequences. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, obviously, one, what you're trying to accomplish, you know, as the GM, you know, in that scene. But two, like, the, the scene itself and the environment, like, you know, if you're running across, uh, you know, a, the a roof of a train, you might have, like, one set of skills that you have in mind as opposed to, like, going through city streets as opposed to, like, navigating a thick jungle. Right. Uh, you know, like, if you're navigating a thick jungle, then you have to worry about, like, you know, okay, you're making acrobatic or, or athletics checks after X number of rounds just for your to keep your endurance up and your speed up. You're also going to be making survival checks to make sure that you're aware of the direction that you're running, um, You know, if it's the again, like navigating the street, you know, depending on what uh, game you're playing, you got, you got like streetwise checks to know your directions. You could do survival checks for knowing your direction. Maybe if you're just trying to literally get away, eventually, once you get enough, you know, if you're able to maintain some distance between you and whoever's chasing you, maybe a stealth check to like hide in a garbage, you know, uh, a garbage can somewhere. You know what yeah. I mean? Pull the Indiana Jones, you know, like kid hiding in the friggin' urn in you know, the middle of the, you know, the, the Middle Eastern town there. Um, yeah. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, another thing too, like what I would do, like for like a city kind of, you know, navigating that is, I would do a combination of direction um, sense kind of skill checks and also like an acrobatic style kind of check for like navigating through the crowded streets. You know what I mean? Like, are you able to do like a tumble check to get by some people, you know, or squeeze between some, you know, a, a, you know, a crowd? Whereas the the big oaf is going to just be smashing through things, and therefore they're going to be moving slower while you're moving at normal or close to normal. Speed. Or maybe you
2: could have uh, you could allow players to use a uh, uh, a social skill at that point to get the
1: crowd to move.
0: Yeah, I so everybody move, move. exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, one other thing to bring up, another skill that could come into play because we the way we've been talking about, it, I realized we left out an important one: uh, drive. Because yeah. you can do car chases, you can do vehicle chases. Yeah, I consider
0: that jolt yeah, yeah. under the, the term chase. You know what I mean
1: well I, I just I realized that we were like we we're kind of all talking like foot chases True. You know? yeah you know, we're,
0: we're, yes. we've been right.
1: sticking a lot to D&D it is the most popular thing but you also have the modern where you're doing that right. you may have superheroes where you're doing right. flight right um, yeah Yeah. yeah. yeah there's,
0: like again there's lots of variations yeah. of the chase scene but it's still you know it's all still a chase you know but yeah I you know again if you're using you know vehicles or whatever you'd have to make you know skill checks with that vehicle or you know like if it's a horse and carriage you know you're making this check if it's yeah. a Lamborghini and another type of game you're making Making this check, right. flying a fighter jet. You know, it's all still, you know, you're still making some sort of check. Um, and again, the, you know, like the concept of making some sort of skill chum, social check in a crowd to get everybody to move, you could also do the same thing to get everybody to get in every, You know, the person that's chasing you's way. That kind of popped in my head when you are saying that, um, you know, instead of, hey, everybody move, you could be like, stop that he, man. You know, He's got a go. <laughs> right you yeah, know what I mean yeah. that kind of thing you know you know oh my god or he's giving away free candy Ooh, a bunch of kids come yeah, charge yeah. the dude you know what I mean slow him down so I mean there's there's a variety of things and maybe you don't have these on your you know in your head when you come up with the idea but if your players kind of throw that stuff out there more power to them just to yeah. twist up the, the skill challenges that they need to make absolutely yeah, I, said-
2: I think those things should be player based I think as a GM maybe you want to encourage them to do that occasionally mm-hmm. you know like, if they're struggling through a, a, a crowd and you know full well that they have, a you know, a, a high charisma or good intimidate or something, you could uh, you could maybe just even hint to them. It's like, man, you could just – why don't you try to tell everyone to move? Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. I would basically – for, like, how I would handle, like, again, you know, thinking of, like, the, the city, you know, chase scene, I would just kind of set the scene for them. Like, okay – you're rushing along, you know, you're running, you know, you're moving your whatever your run speed is, you know, double movement, quadruple movement, whatever your movement is, depending on your system. Up ahead is a huge crowd of people. You're, you're hitting the marketplace. Right. You know, you're there. You know, there's a few different ways you can handle this, but you can't just run straight through. What do you want to do? Okay, well, I'd like to tumble past them. I'd like to cast a fly spell and fly over them. Right. I'd like to make, a, you know, a climb check or an, um, an athletics check and scale up the side of the building to go up and over them. I, I want to channel
1: the spirit of the ram.
0: Yeah, I want to tell. I want to say everybody <laughs> I'm move through them. You know, like whatever you want to do, but just like set the scene for them and just you know decide what skill and what how they want to go about that. Yeah, and and I completely agree with. Uh, if your players
1: come up with something, try to figure out a way to have it work in somehow. Mm-hmm. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Probably the greatest tool in the DM's arsenal is. Yeah, sure, let's go with that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Exactly.
0: Is there a chandelier in here in the room? Yes, yes, absolutely, there is a chandelier in here.
1: There is now.
0: Yep,
1: exactly. (laughs) All right, so we're going to wrap it up here. We do appreciate you joining us, talking about non-combat encounters, ways that you can fit them into your game. Let us know if you have any fun tricks that you've used or if you've used any of the tricks that we have today in your game. To, to help us let us know how it worked out we'd love to hear back from you we are available on facebook you can let, find us like comment and subscribe we have our message boards game master studio or yeah GameMasterStudio.Proboards.com. Um, we have twitter gms studios and we are here every week with new content and so we will see you the next time that we are in the studio